Dangerous pass gets through to Kevin. Johnson in the double. Now for the time. Good save. Ready rebound. Quick. Can't come up with it. Now Miller's going to get a look. Good close out by Glazer. Bobsey steps in a one. High to high. Bullseye. And Dixon forces it back. Skip pass gets through. Brosco time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Time Room Bullseye Podcast. I'm Eamon McEnany. In a few moments, I'm going to be joined by Dom Starzia, the head coach of Virginia, as the Cavaliers get ready to play really a must-win game against Duke. I think it's a must-win game for both programs because Duke cannot afford another loss to a team outside the top 20. And here are my two takeaways from the weekend. We're talking about Duke and Virginia. They're on life support. And their resumes could drag a third ACC team out of the tournament with them. So here's my question, though. If three knowns, three programs that are flat-out postseason staples are out of the NCAA tournament, then who is in the NCAA tournament? What at-large teams out there will have played better schedules than three ACC teams? I know the losses. I know Carolina lost to Hofstra and UMass. I know Duke lost to Richmond. I get it that Virginia lost to High Point. I'm not saying that all three need to be in. But is the CAA a two-bid league? Is America East a two-bid league? So let's say Albany wins the AQ out of the America East. You're going to put Stony Brook in as an at-large? Based on what win? What great win does Stony Brook have? And I think Stony Brook's a very good team. But overall, top to bottom, their resume is an at-large resume? I don't know. I think that's going to be a fascinating question down the stretch here. My second takeaway here, what's fun about the total schedule being played. Sunday's Penn State-Maryland game was awesome. A great game for the Big Ten. But what made it even more important is that that game had implications beyond Happy Valley, beyond College Park, and even beyond the Big Ten standings. That was a huge result in Denver and South Bend. Because a different result completely changes the outlook of who will get the number one overall seed. Am I putting the cart before the horse? Of course I am. But that is what we do, and that is what makes, to me, the stretch run so interesting in college lacrosse because there are so many variables. There are games you have forgotten about that will be major factors on Selection Sunday. And I also think we're going to have a huge game, speaking of Selection Sunday, this Sunday in Charlottesville when Virginia hosts Duke. I am now happy to be joined by the head lacrosse coach at the University of Virginia, Dom Stargia. And, uh, Coach, let's get right into it. Obviously a, a huge game ahead of you for this week for both you and Duke. Uh, take us into the psychology of coaching, X's and O's and you know, specific personnel aside. What's your approach to your players during the buildup of this week so that they know what's at stake, but yet at the same point they're loose so that they play you know, the way you want to play at Virginia? Yeah, well, the truth of it is, Eamon, is is that you try not to uh, sort of add to the burden of all of this, you know. I mean, uh, uh, you know, these kids, you know, with the Internet and all the information that's out there for people, uh, everybody's aware enough of what's at stake for the two teams involved and for us in particular. Uh, you know, my job is to try to lighten that load a little bit if I can. And the approach for us generally is to, you know, especially early in the week, these first couple of days, is to mostly focus on ourselves, really not talk too much about Duke and uh and uh, worry about, you know, think about what we just did and uh, where we need to get better, concentrate on those kind of things for a couple of days, and then begin to uh, begin to pay attention to the uh, upcoming opponent. Uh, you know, so, um, you know, 
we, uh, I think for the, for all of these guys, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, generally I don't need to with the schedule that we play. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't generally need to amp things up very much. Uh, you know, even though in a, in our this most recent game against Carolina, I felt like we didn't. You know, we got kind of got beat in the first half of the game, uh, and that Carolina played pl- brought it to us early. I I still felt like uh, we had a good week going in and. Uh, and uh, and so generally, uh, I thought we were ready, and I was a little bit surprised by Carolina's being able to take the play to us early in the game. But uh, but I think in general, um, I, I don't need to add to the pressure of what's happening here. Uh, you know, my job is to try to uh, you know break this down into smaller units, stuff that they can handle. Uh, um, you know, in, in just in terms of us, you know, improving in the areas that we need to improve, working hard at that, and then preparing them as much as I can physically and emotionally as we get closer to game time. Now, one of the reasons why this is such a big game is because Virginia, Duke, North Carolina, almost the whole ACC has out-of-conference losses this year that weren't there in years past. I mean, the ACC was dominant out-of-conference, and we know this parity train's been coming, but this year it seems almost to be more chaos than parity. When you sit down on a Saturday or Sunday night after your games and you get some of these scores from other games, what, take us in that world. What's that like to try to figure out what's going on in 2016 college lacrosse? Well, again, you know, uh, um, I know it's not exactly what everybody wants to hear, but for coaches, uh, you know, we, we try. people always want to talk to us about the big picture and all, and I'm, I keep saying, you know, I'm not really focused on right. that so much. You know, I'm more focused on – you know, one game, getting my team ready, getting better today, you know, so we could, we're prepared to play. For us, it's a one-game season, and that's what we're looking at it as. Uh, but I would also tell you that I'm also aware of what's going on in the world around me, and uh, and it really is quite amazing. You know, I, I don't know that the word parity, which might imply that people are in an even, even situation, I don't know that that's the case exactly, but clearly the gap has narrowed. And... Uh, on any given game day, you know there there's 25 or 30 teams that can beat anybody that they play, and and that was clearly not the case recently. You know, just a few years ago, and uh, and so the bigger schools, the Penn States, you know, some of the new guys on the block, the Penn States of the world, you know, Michigan coming on, things like that. Those teams are going to get better and better, uh, but uh, but oh, there's a whole bunch of teams that are just better and can beat and can beat you, you know, and. Uh, and so you just need to be ready to play. You look at you look at a St. Joe's. You look, you know, obviously you look at an Albany. You look at uh, Marquette, uh, Richmond. You know, these are teams. Uh, these are teams that on uh, on a game day, uh, if you're not ready, uh, you know, you you can get bit. There's no question about it. You know, I was interested after the, we played VMI. One of my freshman middies um, had a couple goals in the game. He got interviewed and he was on TV that night. And uh, you know, he said we had Richmond coming up, and he was he said to the guy, yeah, we got we got a we got to be ready for Richmond, you know. We just watched some film of them beating Duke, you know, right. and so you're, you know, uh, you know, Richmond goes to Duke and beats Duke down at Duke, you know, uh, you know. So uh, there's some amazing stuff going on, and so it's uh, nerve-wracking for the coaches. Um, I'm sure it's exciting for uh, for the for the folks that are uh, that that are watching in. Uh, I want to take a step back now, and I know you don't want to do this because you don't want to do big picture, but I'm going to take you there just uh, for your no, life. Because Go ahead. I know this is uh, no, just because I found it interesting. I was covering you and your teams for a few years before I realized that you didn't play high school lacrosse growing up on Long Island. I remember I asked you, you know, how far back you and Coach Danowski went if you ever played against each other in high school, and you pointed out to me that you didn't play lacrosse in high school so what was it about this sport that when you were at brown you probably saw your friends playing and were immediately attracted to it 
Well, it was the days when they, you had to play on freshman teams in your first year. I was I recruited the Brown to play football. I happened to be the captain of the freshman football team, and a buddy on the football team played lacrosse. And uh, so that spring, he asked me, if, why don't you come out for lacrosse? And, uh, and uh, to be truthful, I was, I was curious. Having grown up on Long Island, I'd heard of it, even though I'd never seen it. Uh, and uh, so I went out for lacrosse, and the truth of it is, Eamon, it almost sounds like I'm making this up. Uh, you know, it was like love at first sight. You know, the first time I, I feel like the first time I picked up a stick, it just felt like, man, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, uh, I played two more years of college football, but lacrosse was a distraction immediately. And uh, and we just went off. And actually, my first head coaching opportunity included coaching football. And uh, they wanted me to be the head lacrosse coach and, and an assistant football coach. And I turned it down because I didn't want to do the football piece of it. And uh and I was focused in lacrosse. And, um, you know, I, I was a history major at Brown. I always loved the Native American piece of the game, uh, that historic, those historical references. Uh, there was just a lot about it to like. I just loved the, the feel of the stick in my hands and, and all those different things. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a love affair ever since. You know, I think as I get to know you and your uh, contemporaries like Coach Danowski and Coach Tierney a little bit better, I'm always thinking it would be an amazing roundtable to just shoot the breeze about because I think educators and coaches and maybe even more coaches because you deal with young people day in and day out as opposed to teachers but probably have the best perspective about how the kids have changed in America and I'm not saying that with any editorializing at all because America's changed you know but I'm just curious what's the biggest difference coaching a student athlete now in 2016 as opposed to when you got started in the 80s and 90s well for me um, you know while I was still at Brown, I wound up uh, changing my language. You know, I grew up as a football kid, and so I was grew up around football coaches that were very gruff. You know, and uh, and actually, I even coached. I coached soccer when I first graduated from Brown, and the head soccer coach was also the head lacrosse coach, and I was his assistant. And he was a guy that uh, was really tough on the kids. And uh, I used to I used to actually talk to him about that, and he would say, "Hey, my job is to point out the mistakes. You know, point out where where they go wrong." Uh, and, uh, you know, um, I just discovered that that was really not the way to get through to people. Uh, you know, when you say, when if you're smart and, and can, be, and kind of sarcastic, you know, there's lots of opportunities on the practice field to say things to kids that make you, that make everybody else laugh, but really hurt a kid. And, and I just learned early on that that's not the way to go. And, uh, and, uh, you know, that just be trying to be positive is, is, uh, you're going to get a lot more done that way. And so, you know, I think from the generation of my age that grew up, you know, being sort of knocked down by coaches and all, uh, you know, the the biggest pieces. And people want to say, well, it's the parents and this and that. I don't run into the parents that much, you know. Uh, for me, it's just generally, um, you know, trying to be positive with these with these guys as much as possible. I found that that's what they respond to more than anything else. I, you know, the criticism, the, you know, the 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 constant criticism part. Uh, um, I just uh, I just found it just as more harmful than, than anything else, and that probably is the biggest difference overall. You know, it's funny. I you talk about playing. I I covered John Donowski when he was in college, and uh, and Billy and I have played a lot of lacrosse against each other over the years. We played in the professional league back in the first NLL back in 1975. We played against each other, and I you know a round table with the three of us and our sons. Who all coach with us, you know, uh, would probably uh, would probably bring a unique perspective to a lot of different topics. I'm sure it would. Uh, so along those lines, you know, I know uh, talking to Matt Ward this weekend, they're honoring his championship team, the 10 year anniversary of that 0-6 team that was dominant. 
You won it again five years later, you know, when you had to shuffle the deck with personnel and Bucknell had you on the ropes. I'm getting to the point that you've done it all. You're the winningest coach. You were able to accomplish that, I guess, five miles away from where you grew up. Uh, let me just ask, stop you there. Have you been able, because I know that was in the middle of a postseason run, were you able at all that summer to take a moment to reflect on that? I know it's a few years ago, back in 2011, but not only do you become the all-time winningest coach, you pass Jack Emmer, but you do it maybe a stone's throw from where you grew up. And, you know, to add to that, where your grade school, if I remember correctly, was having a reunion that day. Were you able at all to step back and reflect on that and, you know, appreciate that accomplishment? Did it against, uh, did it against Cornell, you know, one of my, yeah. one of our old rivals, uh, back of our old Ivy League rivals, uh, you know, I uh, had lots of relatives in the, in the stands. Um, you know, it, at that moment, uh, didn't really have time to because we were, you know, I had to turn around and get ready to play. And, uh, you know, when coaches are, again, uh, you know, people don't quite understand. You know, you listen to Nick Saban, you know, they win the national championship in football at Alabama, and he's on the phone or on the plane the next day talking to recruits. You know, uh, I can remember our first championship back in 99. Uh, the next day, that was on a Monday. On Tuesday, I was at Coin watching the New York State quarterfinals. Uh, you know, and so, you know, for us, um, you know, at the summer of 2011, there were a lot of people that stopped me along the way to say, hey, thanks, or, you know, or it somehow it struck a chord with people that championship. And so, um, you know, there was, there was reason to be able to spend a little time with that during that summer. But, Coaches, for the most part, are sort of quick to turn the page, knowing that everybody else is trying to figure out how they're going to get one up on you the, the very next year. And so I think that while we're still in the middle of this, uh, we, we don't take as much time as people might imagine. You know, the, the championships probably don't aren't as immediately satisfying as people, again, people would imagine that they would be. Uh, we just generally don't have the time to be able to relish it very much, and knowing that knowing the work that it took to get there and knowing it's probably going to be harder to stay there. And, uh, and so you sort of doubling down, you know, it's almost as soon as you get home, you know? Uh, and so, um, I, you know, I, I haven't had a chance to contemplate all of this, you know, a, a great deal, uh, but I love the busy work of what I do. And so it's not as if, you know, uh, I'm unhappy doing it all. I've, I've tell people all the time, I've always loved the process of coaching. I, I love I love the practice field. I'm going to miss most of all when this is over. I'm going to miss the practice field. Uh, you know that's where I enjoy the the exchanges with the players, uh, those relationships. Uh, you know the, those. I've always enjoyed the recruiting. Frankly, I enjoy going out to find players. You know, finding the Doug Knights of the world that people aren't aware of and all, uh, getting to know those people, uh, building those relationships and all. And uh, and so all the things that go into this uh, are things that 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 have come to enjoy. And so. Probably haven't spent as much time with any of these championships as I might like. We'll get a chance to reminisce a little bit with the 2006 guys this weekend, and hopefully they can bring us a little luck uh, as we get ready for our game. Uh, you said when this is over, uh, when will it? Do you think it'll pop into your mind that this is over? What needs to happen for you to think? You know, what is it is time to contemplate and maybe put down the busy work and the recruiting? Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that exactly. You know, uh, I mean, you know, people say, you know, you've heard people say, you know, the, min the minute you think about it, you know, it's right. over. And, that, you know, that's that's not true either, you know. And uh, and so, you know, I get asked about it in the recruiting and, 
and things like that. Uh, I'm older, you know. I, I know I'm closer to the end of my career than the beginning. Uh, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I, mean, I, I still love this. You know, I love. Uh, again, I just love the process of it all, and uh, um, you know, the fact that I have my my son on the staff now, and he's doing a nice job, and and having him nearby is is made this uh, you know made this really special and. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming I'll just know when it's time. You know, uh, you know, we we've changed a little bit. We're willing to be shown a willingness to change to do some different things. Uh, still enjoy the kids and all, and uh, and so uh, you know, um, I, I I I think I'll probably just know when it's the right time. Uh, I just, uh, I, like I say, I just uh, I haven't really uh, haven't really come to terms with with it all yet. Uh, you mentioned your son being on your staff and how special that makes it. Uh, you're Dom Jr. I know from getting to talk to you, your father, Dom Sr., a New York City police officer who uh, unfortunately passed away a few years ago. But I know he came down to Charlottesville and stayed with you and your family. Uh, without getting too personal, what were those conversations like when you would talk about your success, not just in lacrosse, but at two of the most prestigious schools in the country? What, did, uh, what kind of pride uh, did he take in the career you had, especially when he had a chance to be so close to it in Charlottesville? Well, it's funny. Uh, in the beginning, when I first started coaching, I was the first in my family on both sides, both mom and dad's side, to go off to college. You know, nobody had ever gone to college in the, on the Star Zero Graham families. And, uh, and so I went to an Ivy League school, and I was supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer. So my father spent a number of years after I first, when I first graduated saying to me, oh, by the way, when are you going to get a real job? You know, and, uh, and then he slowly came to appreciate what, what I wound up doing for a living and, uh, and all of that. Uh, the last, uh, he, you know, he was, he was here for, down in Charlottesville for about 10 or 12 years. Uh, that was really, really a special time. And, uh, and uh, you know, he never, were, he never went anywhere where he wasn't wearing something that said Virginia Lacrosse on it because uh, it was a conversation starter for him. And, you know, he would, you know, he would in the deli or the gas station or something, you know, people would ask him about the shirt, and he would say, oh, yeah, I'm the, I'm the father of the coach. And so he would call me up an hour before a game and say, hey, Dom, can you put these six people on the gate list? Uh, you know, I just met him in a gas station, and they want to come over to the game, you know. And he'd say, hey, Dad, give me a break, would you please? Uh, but it was, it, was, it was a great joy. And uh, like I say, I think he had a – he had a great time down here. He lived. We had a. We bought him a home in a in a development called uh, Lake Monticello, and uh, his nickname was Little New York. There were so many New York retirees there, and he had a gang of guys. And two of the guys, even though my dad passed away six years ago, uh, two of the guys still come to all of our games. They sit up in the stand, top of the stands. Our little ritual is that they wave to me before the game, and I wave to them during the warm up. And uh, you know, and so uh, that was just a really neat time. I got two brothers down here now: mother-in-law, two brothers-in-law. You know, between the stars, years I married a lasagna. Between the stars, years of lasagna, my, bro my brother married a Russo. Between all of those, we've about tripled the Italian American population in this little southern hamlet. You know, and uh, and so it's all been uh, it, it it's all been very special. Yeah. Well, I'll take you back to New York because I guess it's fitting. You know that you were born in uh, the first few years of your life in New York City. I guess it's only fitting that your program has done a tremendous job of working with the Harlem Lacrosse League. I know Wyatt Meltzer went up there, and now Owen Van Arsdale. Uh, you're on their board, and you've been up to New York to talk to them. The players have come down to Charlottesville, I think, on an annual basis. Uh, what's the biggest thing that sticks with you the longest when you get a chance to meet those young players, whether it's up in Harlem or when they come down to Charlottesville? Um, well, the, 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 the whole thing, the, that whole relationship with the Harlem lacrosse people has just checked so many boxes with me. You know, I mean, the, 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 the New York City box and the New York box and the lacrosse box and the demographic of lacrosse box, you know, uh, it's neat that we are making, you know, slow, small but steady uh, changes 
in some of the demographics. Uh, you know, my big thing at first was when I would run into these kids. You know, I would be saying to them, "Why lacrosse? Why is it? What is it about lacrosse that wind up has made this work? You know, the, 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 this whole relationship here." And, and the truth of it is. It's the, you know it's what we found we all discovered about the game what you discovered about the game and what I discovered about the game which is that when we first started playing it it's just an easy game to love you know it's an easy game to enjoy playing and uh, and for kids in New York City who we don't think of that way you know uh, we don't we don't think of them with a lacrosse stick in their hands uh, um, you know it's the same deal is that kids just love playing the game you know the the freedom of the game, the creativity of the game. Uh, you know, even in New York, where you know you go up to where Owen Van Arsdale is working right now. I I did a clinic in the fall up there, and uh, they don't have a field. You know, they have handball courts. Those kids think that a handball court is a is a lacrosse field. You know, and uh, but they love playing the game, and uh, and so it's been really really neat to see that. Uh, you know, and the same you know the same reasons that I fell in love with the game in the beginning. That if we can get it to kids. You know, and get some good teachers in front of them, good role models and teachers that uh, we can, you know, we can use the game to really help kids get along. And and the 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 the, the, the changes and the improvements that they've been able to make academically for some of those kids are just uh, just amazing. The Harlem people are doing some amazing work, and and the small things that I can do to try to help out a little bit, uh, I, I am more than happy to. I'm very proud of the fact that the Virginia Lacrosse has been associated with that program. It certainly brought as much you know, good things to our program as we have been able to, to bring to them. Yeah, I know it's always great to run into them when they come down for a, a game in Charlottesville. All right, last question. Uh, I have made you the czar of lacrosse, so you get one move that's unblockable. Your fellow coaches can't block it, the NCA can't block it, um, athletic directors or conferences, and anything's on the table from, you know, move the calendar back, more teams in the tournament, less tournament, um, you know, shot clock, no zones, whatever you want to change, you get one move. What would Dom Starge's uh, one unblockable move to the sport of college lacrosse be? It would probably, uh, it would actually probably be to uh, to uh, move the recruiting later. Right. It would be to, to, for the NCAA to pass that. For me, I'm the czar. I'm going to pass that legislation that we've all proposed that we wouldn't be able to contact kids until uh, September 1st of their junior year in high school. That would just be better for the coaches it would be better for the for the candidates, and I think that the game would benefit a great deal overall. You know, the other things, the dates, and all of those kind of things. I'd like to I'd like to separate to separate out the semifinals and finals. I think would make for a better final game. Uh, but uh, but that you know I think that you know that, uh, that 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 has a chance of changing. Or like I say, the the, the event status of the weekend, you know maybe too important to, 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 to disrupt but like I say I think if I had one thing to change I would bump the recruiting to a to a later starting date can I just be a cynic here and jump in and say in the other sports sure. we always cry that the NCAA either doesn't know how to enforce the rules or has too many and that's the cynical reporter wise guy kind of look at it but why do we need the NCAA to sort of save lacrosse from itself if every coach tells me every week that it's early recruiting why can't you guys just sort of do it on your own then uh, because um because uh, everybody's got different pressures on them, Eamon. Right. Uh, you know, we, I, I convened a meeting in uh, two years ago in the fall in Baltimore. We had every ACC head coach and every Big Ten head coach there, and we were trying to see if we could, if we could manage the early recruiting ourselves. And then at the end of five hours at a, at a hotel, 
we agreed on 95% of the issues. But at the end of the day, the Ohio State coach is saying to me, hey, Dom, I got different pressures than you. You know, uh, I'm trying to build a program. You know, if I had, this is the best way for me to get a kid, I've got to do it. You know, and, and it's not, I'm in no position to say to him, you can't do that. You know, uh, that you gotta, you gotta do something for the good of the game when he's got different things in mind than I do. You know, uh, and so, you know, uh, we, we need the governing body of our, of our, profession which is the ncaa to come in and say okay look here's the rule you know we've had lots of these meetings and discussions in the past and coaches would often say look i'm not doing it unless it's an ncaa rule unless i have to do it or else or else i need to be able to think creatively and do the things that i want to do and i understand guys feeling that way when i when i was younger you know i you know i would have been i might have been more aggressive about that and, and been a little less concerned about the maybe the overall good of the game uh but uh, but that's what that the, in order to have it implemented properly, we 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 need the NCAA to come in and and and, and give us a hand here. Gotcha, Coach Starzy. As always, I appreciate your time. Uh, great stuff here. Really enjoyed it, and I uh, look forward to seeing you and uh, your team in action this Sunday against Duke on uh, ESPNU. Thanks a lot, Coach. Thanks, Damon. Okay, you take care. So that'll do it for this edition of the Time Room Bullseye Podcast. Thanks for listening, and remember, Duke. Travels to Virginia Sunday at noon on ESPN2. I look forward to that one. But until then, remember, time, room, bullseye.